uh, Christmas story in uniform. Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. They were building positions in there if for a fight. happened to us, by the time anyone got to us, I think it was chaos. the weather was so bad, there would be no one And the next thing I hear was alarms screaming. Very, very the soldiers didn't want to go into the ambushes, so they'd send the kids in first. And so he was sent in first into an ambush and he got shot in the stomach. It was very hard for me, very hard for my family. And the pain was proud of the crew, proud of what I've achieved and what I'm doing. The volunteer for service was in effect to put your life on the line. Welcome to a Life on the Line special episode. When speaking with veterans over the course of this year, we found that a lot of them had stories of a Christmas in uniform. We've saved these previously untold stories until now to share with you, the listener, to celebrate the upcoming holiday season. This is Christmas on the Line. First up is number 17, Dave Stafford Finney where Dave shares one of his more memorable Christmases with Angus Horden. Can you recount any particular Christmases that you would have spent abroad? Yeah, so I think it was 2001, I was in Bougainville. I remember the plan was I think we sort of had a a bit of a stash of champagne and what we were going to do is we were going to sail out and have a buffet and a champagne breakfast, turn the boat off, just float, you know. But unfortunately, the day before Christmas, the um, our base got broken into, so we went up to a higher security alert and all i remember thinking is that they could have waited two more days so we lost our christmas but we ended up having a bit of a a buffet and we got from the rsl we got um christmas cards from kids and so what we did is we stuck them up on the wall and they were like dear soldier i hope you're having a good war on christmas you know it was like primary school kids so we stuck all these cards up on the wall and we had a big big buffet anyway and we did a secret santa and i'll never never forget the one of the guys on the boat bisho he missed a curfew one night when they were out scurfing. Um, and so we lost all his boat privileges. And the captain just gave him a, a piece of paper that said, regain boat privileges. And that was his Christmas present. And he's just sat at the table and like his ears pricked up almost like a dog. And he's gone, can, can we go now? <laughs> and his mate's like, can we, can we? And the captain's like, yeah, all right, get out of here, you know. But, but yeah, it was, it was ended up being the, um, the army band was there and they came down and were playing Christmas tunes. And it ended up just really changing the whole mood of where we were, you know, and it was it was a really good Christmas, you know. We got to email home and talk about how good it was and it, it was a, a feeling of real brotherhood on that boat that didn't happen often, but it was, it was a good boat to and, be on. And you had the champagne? No, we didn't. Um, so, unfortunately, we were still in Bougainville, which the, wasn't allowed, so... <laughs> But it wasn't, it wasn't much of a loss at the end of the day, you know, as much as we are. We thought it was at the start. Cassie Collins, number 21, told me of one rather unusual setting she had for a Christmas lunch. Cassie, do you have any Christmas in uniform stories? Almost half of my Christmases have been in uniform. The most memorable one was a few years back, 2014-15 Christmas and New Year's. We were deployed to the Middle East 
on the C-17 back when I was an aircraft mechanic. Uh, we left Christmas Day around 10am in the morning. So I drove straight from my mother's breakfast into Rafa Assembly and then jumped on a plane. The loadmaster and I had decided to prepare a Christmas lunch for the crew. So en route to the Middle East, we had a pre-cooked and heated in the galley of the aircraft chicken and cold cuts of ham, um, roasted vegetables. There was even gravy. It was three courses. So it was like a toasty and then there was the roast with the veggies and then dessert. The guys had cooked a pavlova. So myself and the lady <laughs> served it to the crew en route to the Middle East. So that was a pretty fun Christmas story. Super Aussie Christmas at 38,000 feet on yeah. your way to the Middle East. Five-star Air Force all the way. Absolutely. I unpacked one of my bags mid-flight and I'd found that my mother had sort of boxed up a little present for the crew and there was some tinsel and a tiny two-foot Christmas tree. So we don't go without, that's for sure. Our next story is from World War II. Korea and Vietnam veteran Rothsay Swan, number 40. Rothsay, can you share with us, please, perhaps one of those Christmas times that you had, for example, on Derwent? Yes, in Derwent, we didn't expect to be away for Christmas because we didn't expect to go to the Far East. But because another ship in our Navy needed dockyard repair, we were suddenly sent to the Far East. And that meant we would be away for Christmas. We spent Christmas in Tawau, in Borneo and it was a peaceful time because in those days in Tawau we were the mothership of uh, patrol boats and the Indonesians didn't move by day they only moved by night and so we used to spend all night every night underway patrolling the waters so Christmas Day was free. And so we had a traditional Christmas where we, the officers, served the ship's company in the traditional way and so on. The ship's company were not happy, not that happy, because once again we had no mail. I mean, mail used to take three weeks to come and mail home. So the sailors, of course, wouldn't have heard from, had any news of home for probably six weeks, you know, a couple of months sometimes. Anyway, we had fun. We decorated the ship and, uh, spent a very pleasant traditional Christmas. And did you have a rum ration that day? No, but I think the captain, I can't remember who he was, but anyway, it might have been me, had a beer issue. (laughs) Naval Historical Society with David Michael was one of our bonus episodes with a Royal Australian Navy veteran. David had a Christmas not on the sea, but on shore, which allowed him to witness a surprising sequence of events. Does that coincide with any Christmas celebrations you have on board any ships or? No, the most interesting Christmas I ever spent at, well, wasn't at sea, it was in Canberra in Naval Headquarters. I was the, the duty staff officer as a young, well, mid-rank lieutenant, I guess, 1982. Uh, it actually snowed in Canberra that day, which was unusual. But the other in- interesting experience that day was um, the escape from uh, detention of a Korean patrol boat which had been detained and was at anchor in Trinity Inlet in uh, Cairns. And uh, obviously they took they took advantage of the, the quiet leave period and they their engine had been disabled, but anyway, somehow they got ashore and, and got a hold of the parts they needed to, to get their engine going and then disappeared north. And as a duty staff officer, once this was realised, um, HMAS Townsville was uh, sent off in hot pursuit to uh, re-arrest them. Um, but that was a, a long, convoluted process. And, and in those days, we had um, a naval headquarters in Cairns, one in Queensland in, in Brisbane, and then uh, fleet headquarters and then Navy headquarters. So the chain of command was fairly convoluted and, and this patrol boat refused to stop. 
So HMS Towns will follow due procedure and flag them and uh, use radio and flashing lights to, to signal them to stop, but uh, they didn't. And the day proceeded on and eventually they fired warning shots across the bow, which were ineffective. And all this was step-by-step you know, step communicated up the chain of command. And eventually um, Townsville requested permission to fire at the ship and the choice was the funnel or the, uh, the steering gear compartment. What impressed me most was uh, as the, the guy at the end of the chain, I had to ring the minister to ask for approval to, um, to fire at this Taiwanese fishing boat. And uh, Minister Killen was on the other end of the phone and he, his response was very short and He's sweet. He's a no-nonsense guy. Yes, and he, he just said, follow procedure. So we approved... Um, firing at the, uh, the funnel of this um, fishing boat and it stopped immediately. So, yeah. But the, it was the chain of command which uh, was the most interesting thing for me that came out of that and the, the delay in each step. And that's why we've got rules of engagement and um, fortunately they were, when you follow them, you're able to resolve such circumstances. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, it worked. I spoke with Chantelle Taylor, formerly a British Army combat medic. Chantelle had an interesting Christmas story for me. The rest of her story was told in the bonus episode, Line of Fire, with Chantelle Taylor. Were you ever on deployment during Christmas? Yeah, I was. Um, that was Kosovo. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was actually quite good because you have um, people make a fuss of it. You know, they, they do whoever's there, the chefs and stuff, wherever they are, they try and make the best. And yeah, actually, it's quite good fun. You know, the only difference is you're not, you can't get drunk. But then I also, um, you know, in, my, in the private sector, I'd spent many Christmases overseas. I spent about probably three Christmases in Baghdad, one in Afghanistan, and they were, yeah, good fun. And the, you know, my favourite things on offer, food, is everywhere. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like they have, the, especially with the Americans. I mean, you guys that are listening would have, that know how Americans deploy, as they have the, you know, the very best of everything. So, I'd, yeah, I've been, I've been quite lucky. Didn't bother me being away at Christmas. I was going to say, because Kosovo, that's, you know, it's your sense your first deployments and all that. Um, first time, I'm guessing, away from the family at that time of year. But uh, that was just a more of a fun adventure for you. Yeah, because you, it's different, isn't it? And then, you know, the military become your family, even though I'm really close to mine. At that point, you know, my friends are, are way cooler than hanging out with my brothers. That's just the way it is, I think. That's, you know, it's not just I love my family, you know, very much. But for the for those your formative years in the military, it's almost you have. I think you have to embrace that. You have to embrace being away and not be too needy for home. I think that's just how it is for everybody. Yeah, I had good fun. It was. Um, I was never really sad for for home in that way. Number twenty two, Glenn Colomitz was on deployment to Timor for this next Christmas story. So for Timor, you spent a Christmas there. How did you find that? Fantastic! It was uh, it was. I was there with the three RAR battle group, so with Dad's old battalion, and three RAR were an interesting unit to work with in those days. So uh, they saw the para role, but uh, so very dynamic um, unit, and had a very good Christmas with those uh, with those those blokes, both in Dili and out in one of the patrol bases. I tried to get around as much as I could. Yeah, good Christmas, but uh, very busy job. Very very busy job um, as as the one the sole eagle officer. A lot of my role was key leadership engagement. So engaging with government in Timor, plus the Portuguese, plus the um, the UN and, and many others. So I had Christmas lunch, didn't have any, I wasn't drinking, there was there was drink, but the base was opened up for alcohol that day, but I had jobs to do. So I had my Christmas lunch, I went back out in my, in my vehicle, engaging with key leadership. <laughs> we could not have a Christmas special without a chaplain. This next story was told to Angus Horden while recording the bonus episode, Chaplain on the Seas, with Reverend Dr. Gareth Clayton. I've had some uh, 
extraordinary Christmases. It was my practice when I was the chaplain at uh, Command Chaplain at Garden Island to have a Christmas Eve carol and lessons in carol services on uh, Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas Day, Christmas morning, I loaded up a couple of sacks of mollies and so on and visited all the ships that were alongside and all the um, Navy watches around Sydney. And uh, that was very special. A couple of things that stick in my mind. One was the, the fact that uh, I was amazed each year how many sailors asked me if they could take the lollies home to their kids. And uh, of course that they could, but uh, they're only small. There's only a couple, but, but it was a link between them and their, their family on Christmas Day. And uh, I found that touching. But one of the most interesting ones I had, uh, I was walking across Garden Island past the, uh, on the caisson over the uh, Captain Cook dock. And normally if there's a ship in the dry dock, you can see the superstructure, to say the least. But there was nothing this day and uh, I was halfway across the caisson and I sort of just looking around and looked to, to my right and then I saw uh, a submarine in the bottom of the dry dock, sort of look, looking at not much bigger than a rowboat, but anyhow, I thought, oh, well, I, I, I'm pretty sure they'd have a duty watch on that. So I went down the steps into the into the dry dock and uh, went on board, and there were three. There was a duty officer and, and two sailors on board, and uh, I came on board, and, and they were staggered uh, that I actually found. They said, how did you find us? Because when I said I came on, I said, hey, this is an happy Christmas. You, do you like some, some of this? And uh, we're thinking of you. And, and uh, they were delighted, absolutely delighted, that I'd managed to find them. Don Barnby, number 18, spoke to Thomas Kay about his time in the SAS and then the Australian Federal Police. Don's Christmas on the Line story is from his time with the AFP when he was on deployment to Cyprus. A Christmas story in uniform. Christmas 1981 in Cyprus. I was in the AFP on the 17th Cyprus contingent and I was working at that time with the Canadian Army. On my first tour in Cyprus, I was I had the brevet rank of an inspector. So I was there for an officer. So that allowed me to mix in the officers' circles in the mess. As a result, the Canadians came up with this idea that on Christmas Day, all the officers in their regiment, which included us because we were attached, would replace all the diggers on the line, all the, the young soldiers on the line, and they would come back for a big turkey dinner. So we went out and it was literally on the line. We're on the, uh, the buffer zone in, in Nicosia. And I just remember it was snowing. It was just the most perfect Christmas. It was freezing cold. It was snowing and we were in a bunker. So it was all, had all those ingredients of, you know, emotional pull and long way from home. And I remember the RSM of the regiment came around with a big container of uh, what the Canadians had made up and they called it moose milk. And it was just gorgeous. It's, it's all the um, the creamy liqueurs with milk and ice cream and ice, yeah. Didn't need a lot of ice, it was freezing. And it's like that, you know, sudden, that deathly milkshake that just grabs you. But the snow was coming down. We were drinking moose milk and eating turkey. And the poor Turkish soldiers in front of us, they were starving, they were freezing, the uniforms were most inadequate for that climate. So while the uh, CO of the regiment came around and visited each bunker, they had on the radio, on the, on the army net, um, silent night, holy night and all this sort of stuff. So you can just picture it, you know, snow, drinking moose milk, eating turkey, 
Across the airwaves comes this silent night, holy night. And then when the CO and the RSM and all that had gone, we are just sitting there and we wrapped up some of this hot turkey in tinfoil and we threw it out across the line so that the Turkish soldiers could... And they, they were so scared of their officers because, uh, you know, they were very harshly disciplined. So they'd look, look you yeah, know, do a 360 and then crawl out in the snow, grab this turkey and then come back and... Yeah, they had sort of big thumbs up and shout out. So that was probably the most memorable Christmas I've had in service. I have spent other Christmases overseas in service, but no, because because of the snow and it was just and quite near the Holy Land and you know, it was. Uh, I did spend one in in Jerusalem one year, but uh, that was yeah, that was probably my Christmas story away in uniform. Sharon Maskeldare of this podcast has also served our country in uniform. She deployed to Iraq in 2016 as a public affairs officer in task group Taji 4. This is her narration of The Christmas Present, a short story she wrote about her deployment. The Christmas Present. There it was, parked quietly at my door, away from the muddy passageway and our makeshift Zen garden with its ammunition box and empty shell casing. The New Zealanders worked on it every night, cutting the tiny lawn with scissors and pouring bottled water on the plants. I'd ignored it at first. It was early on Christmas morning and I'd left a stocking for my roommate. She was snoring quietly, in a way that might have been annoying anywhere else. But here, it was comforting, a reminder of human closeness. Someone else was there. When I heard her sleeping, I knew I was not alone. Last night, she cried. I found her in the muddy waters next to our garden gate, where boots stuffed with newspaper mulch stood on packing crates to keep them dry. The rain was relentless. The mud stuck to your boots like chewing gum, and the road to the showers was filthy. She was standing in the shadows next to the wall, and I almost didn't recognise her, but her pale white skin gave her away. You okay? I asked. No, she replied, with a little too much emphasis. It's okay. And I held her close. I could tell she'd not been held for a very, very long time. I'm so alone. Her words were matter of fact. She wasn't seeking sympathy or asking me to believe her. She just was alone. I'll be your family this Christmas, I said, and I gave her the fudge that Ralph had given me earlier that evening. I told her it was our present, from Ralph and me to her. We sat and smoked cigarettes. It was my first in more than ten years and the buzz went straight to my head. We talked about men and she cried some more. When she left for the showers I found some gifts for her. A Lego kangaroo that friends had sent me from home, a bar of tea tree soap in my body shop box and some chocolate. I found a sparkly gift bag and waited until she was asleep. I laid it at the end of her bed, crept back into my boudoir and hugged my pillow to sleep next to the sheets that I'd hung as wallpaper. I felt a pang of loneliness when I woke up. There were no gifts, as they would have been at home, and I berated myself for being so selfish. Who was I to complain? I had loved ones. I had a family. I wasn't alone. I'm fine, I told myself. Fine. Captain Maskeldare, said the envelope. At first, I didn't realise what it was. 
The card was propped up on a bike basket outside our door, in a plastic bag to shield it from the rain. Then I realised the basket had a bike, and the bike had a seat. A white seat, the very same seat that I'd bought in Rasho's shop last week for a bike that I thought was dumped, but later turned out to be claimed by somebody else. I'd scavenged for another, but I'd had no luck. A bike! He's got me a bike! I said a little too loudly. I was a child on Christmas Day, a child who'd longed for a first bike, written to Santa and dreamed of that blue frame with a white seat and a basket. And Christmas had come. This bike was for real. It was for me. You'll be okay, Shaz. You'll be okay. My husband's smile had crumpled with concern on the screen. My daughter Claudia had waved in the background, trying to make light of it, trying to look happy. The connection had faltered, threatening to cut us off. I tried to hold it together, but failed again. The emotion hit me like a wave, pulled me under and refused to let go. I don't know if I can do this, I'd said later that day. We were in the DFAC. It was taco night, I think. The moment I'd said it, I noticed. Ralph was subdued and looked upset. It had touched him more than I'd expected and I'd wondered why. But now I understood. He'd gone to the trouble of finding the bike, taken it to the workshop to fix it up, asked them to put the seat on plus a mudguard. It had taken time and thought. He looked out for me as his mate and I'd felt like giving up. No wonder he felt sad. My roomie opened her gifts and I marvelled at her smile. It made me happy to hear her voice. She'd already been at Taji for six months and for her, Christmas Day was another day, closer to home. I dropped by Ralph's pod and left a small gift outside his door. I was back, ready to crack on, ready to stay. As I spanned the wheels on the muddy road on my new bike to work, I saw the grey horizon ahead. It was Christmas Day in Iraq and I was still here. Wheels turning, hopes mounting. I can do this, I said. I had mates. I was not alone. This final Christmas story is another from Glenn Kolomitz. This one was featured in Glenn's original interview with Angus, but it was such a good one I had to repeat it here. And I can imagine in any service period there are always those lighter and funny moments. Can you share any of those? Yeah, the, this is interesting. I um, During the winter rotation, one of these uh, particular special operations um, soldiers from Melbourne had a big... These guys grow beards when they're deployed in Afghanistan. That's, that's the nature of the operation. Had a big white beard. And so he's, was a, he was out in the range one day on top of a vehicle with a bunch of automatic weapons in a Santa costume, but with his battle rig, so his chest rig and all his, all his magazines, etc., over the Santa suit and his rifle, but with the Santa suit on and his natural white beard. So I got a photo of that, and it was just a great image. But then years later, I was presenting to a little group, my little bloke at his preschool and their, their little friends, just showing them on, on an Anzac Day thing, showing them some photos of Afghanistan and Timor. And I showed this photo of this uh, Special Forces soldier in his Santa costume, armed up, you know, bombed up. And I uh, said, there's one of our soldiers in Afghanistan at Christmas. And uh, one of the little kids went home to his mum and dad and said, uh, said, mum or dad, Santa is a soldier and he's in Afghanistan. <laughs> and so the parents come back in to see the teachers at, at this at Little Cherubs, this particular preschool, and said, what's going on? You're telling the, my kids that Santa's a soldier and he's in Afghanistan. Well, they showed the parents this photo that, that I had and uh, clearly Santa was a soldier to these, these four-year-olds and clearly he was in Afghanistan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. 
That was Christmas on the Line 2018. Make sure you're subscribed in your podcast app to know when we're back next year with Season 3. You can subscribe through Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Overcast, TuneIn, Stitcher, or you can also subscribe to our newsletter, or you can just listen through the website. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Life on the Line Podcast and on Twitter at L-O-T-L Pod. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Music by Dan Van Werkhoven. Have a Merry Christmas or just a fun holiday season. Thanks for listening. And lest we forget. Mm-hmm.